Good morning. Trust you've had a great week. Um, We are continuing today our series, uh, although like with a month in between each each session, um, you'll get used to that maybe in a year or two. Uh, But uh, we're going to continue our thoughts on uh, on the family, and uh, we we started off last time. I want to do just a little touch of review, uh, maybe for some of you that missed. a quick review about where we are. We started off last time talking about and discussing what is the most dangerous thing facing the Christian family today. And there are a myriad of possibilities that we can think about. And immediately when I say that, uh, that statement, you perhaps are going somewhere in your mind about uh, the answer to this question, the most dangerous thing that's facing the Christian family today. And I would propose to you that uh, the most dangerous thing is not located outside of the walls of this church and even not located outside the confines of our family and perhaps the most dangerous thing that is threatening uh, the Christian family today may reside in our own hearts and lives as we live and breathe in this world that, uh, that, we, that we do. And so with that little thought would lead us to questioning, okay, okay, what then is a family? What is it uh, that a family is to be? Um, sorry. And what did God intend? And so over the next, uh, I'm not sure how many weeks we're going to do this or how many sessions we're going to do this, we're going to look and just continue to discuss What is a family? And we're going to begin uh, with a a shocking passage of Scripture. You can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, chapter 2. And I apologize, I didn't look those numbers up uh, for you. But uh, Old Testament, first part of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then you come to Judges. Judges, chapter 2. In Judges chapter 2, we we learn a a real shocking story that is shared with us. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 6 of Judges chapter 2. It says this, Now after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders and uh, of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres on the hill country of Ephraim north of Mount Gaash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, right now, your mind should be going, what in the world? Your, your mind should be spinning. 
After that whole generation had gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods and peoples, the gods of the peoples around them. And what should be blowing our minds at this point is that this is not the 17th generation. This is not the 10th generation. This isn't the third generation. This is the very first generation that lived its existence and the land of promise that God gave them. The first generation. And they grew up, the Bible says, as virtual pagans. And the scripture teaches us that in the, in the New Testament that the writings of the Old Testament are for our instruction, our admonition, our learning. And so there's great lessons to be learned here. And we could go through and start thinking about why this happened and we could point our fingers at the judges, we could point our fingers in different directions, but quite honestly, the responsibility lies squarely on the shoulders of parents. The Israelite parents who failed to do what was given to them right before they went into the promised land. And if you know the story, uh, Moses had led them up to uh, the edge of the promised land and then proceeded to tell them the, the, uh, all the laws that God had given to them. He reminded them of these things. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses gives them and places in the laps of moms and dads, gives them instructions on how to live, on what to do as they walk into this land. And God places the, the responsibility of teaching their children the most significant facts of the human existence. And that particular passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, part of that particular passage is called the Shema. And it entails the great commandment, as Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. You are to love the Lord your God with everything that you have, all your soul, mind, strength, everything that you have. He's the only one. He's the one that you worship. He's the one that you bow down before. And as parents, we must understand this, that God intended the family to be the primary learning place, the learning community in his order of things. God intended this to be. And we must understand that. If we don't get this, we've missed the boat. If we don't learn to communicate to our children the most significant facts of human existence in our homes that we've missed the boat. We've missed the boat. And in this story, when we look at the book of Judges and we discover this shocking fact that the first generation that enters into the land, the children of those that went through, went, uh, through and fought and, and worked 
to gain control of this land, their children missed it. They didn't get it. They, were, they turned out to be virtual pagans. The huge lesson is this, is that if we are not enculturating our children in the things of God, they will be enculturated by the surrounding society. If we're not enculturating our children in the things of God, they will be enculturated by the surrounding society. That's one of the huge lessons from Judges chapter 2. And so many times, I'm, 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 I'm blown away by, by kids. I've had the opportunity to speak to kids for a long time and see, see kids of, of, of good church-going people. Kids of people that we would, we, we would look at them and say, boy, they're a great Christian family. And come to discover when you start talking to their kids, their kids are, are, are running away from church, are running away from uh, anything that the scripture teaches by the droves. You know, this Facebook thing's a, a, an amazing way to communicate with each other. I got started doing Facebook whenever I was working for Lancaster Bible College and I had to communicate with sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And what an experience that was. Uh, hopped on that thing and started, you know, communicating. And what do you know? I had some friends that were just like, hey, would you be my friend? Would you be my friend? And it, and it, was, it turned out to be really, really neat because I began to connect with people that I hadn't seen in years. Friends from high school, friends from college. And it was just like, oh, wow, that's neat. And I'd hardly talked to that person in college and hardly talk to that person in high school, but they want to be my friend. That's great. And what do you know? We still don't talk. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing. But the, but the thing that, that has been just incredibly discouraging to me, particularly over the past uh, month and a half, two months, are that we see repeatedly over and over in the lives of friends that we have known for years that we know have been taught the truth. We see them buying the idols of a society that has long since forgotten God, has long since turned its back on, 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 on biblical truth or biblical uh, morality. It's almost discouraging enough. My wife and I had a conversation just the, <laughs> the other night about, uh, I've had enough. I, 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 I want to turn it off. But I'm driven not to do that. Why? Because it's still an avenue to use, to connect with people, and to love people, and to encourage people, and to take a stand. My best friend, my best friend, left his wife. Just found out about it, you know, through this Facebook thing. Left his wife. Grew up with this kid, prayed with this guy, prayed with this man, left his wife, his four daughters, and I'm, I'm racked by it. After 25 years of marriage, walked out. And I want to say, you're buying the idols. You're buying the idols of a culture 
you're believing the lies of a culture. Where is that kid who stood up and said, I'm not going to do this and this and this, that I remembered that I was just blown away by? Wow, what encouragement, what, what power, what a willingness to take a stand for truth. And my heart is broken. As his wife and kids are, how do we, how do we, how do we do this? How do we do this? And I say, friend, you're buying, you're, you're, you're buying the idols. Well, God intended the family to be his primary learning community. And first of all, there are three, there, there are three areas that we're, we're going to be covering today. Three important, of the most important facts of human existence that God intended to be taught in the context of the family. And first of all, that the family should be a community, a theological community, a community that learns about God. A community that learns about God. And parents, we, we have to realize that God has given us moments and opportunities to speak into our children's lives about God in the everyday, the ordinary, the mundane. Calvin says it like this, there is no knowing that does not begin with knowing God. There is no knowing that does not begin with knowing God. And as parents, we develop and live a biblical worldview and instill it in the lives of our children. We must do that. We must do that. That isn't an option for us. Why is this important? Well, I'll tell you for a couple of reasons. Because people, our children, are revelation receivers. You know, the, the ability to communicate that God has given to us was primarily and originally intended to be able to communicate with him, to know him, to talk with him, to fellowship with him and learn who God is. But God designed us to be able to communicate, to filter and, and, and be able to think about and understand the revelation that God is giving to us. The book of Psalms says it beautifully. The heavens, what? Declare the glory of God. And Romans chapter 1 says it over and over in a beautiful way that God is revealing himself to mankind. And kids are, our kids are also interpreters. We all interpret. We all interpret how? Through a lens. We have to see. When I hit 40, I, I, I had to get these things. It's a terrible thing. It's crazy. I can't see anymore. Slowing down. Knees hurt. Get a blood clot. Almost die. 40 is a bad day, you know. <laughs> but we interpret things. And the way that we live our life in receiving revelation and interpreting revelation from the time that we are young we discover that everyone is a worshiper. We cannot divide people up 
in our churches and outside of our churches as, oh, those are the people that worship and these are the people that don't worship. No, it doesn't work like that. Everyone worships something. And that is the key question. What do you worship? What do you worship? Our kids are trying to make sense out of life. They must learn to begin with the knowledge of God. They must learn to begin to put on the the, the biblical worldview and see everything through the lens of a biblical worldview. That means that if we're talking talking about anything from sports to our employment, our jobs, our relationships, politics, anything, we must view that through a biblical worldview. Or if we don't, we don't get it. We don't understand it. And we can't be who we need to be, much less what God intended us to be. What a challenge. Let me illustrate it to you this My dad was a pastor, for those of you that didn't know. And I had a habit of, I know you can't believe this at all, but I had a habit as a young um, boy, through maybe high school as well, uh, of getting lost in church and running around and playing games. And I loved to throw rocks and I was getting in trouble a lot. <clears throat> I know you can't imagine that at all. But um, one day, I, I, re- I remember this day, I, I don't know why, I can't remember a whole lot, but I remember this particular day, maybe it's because I got in trouble, but um, church was over and I was having a ball in like the children's wing of our church. All the lights were out and... I had my sword, and I was running down the halls and jumping into room and fighting battles and slaying things and having a grand old time. But I remember I had a real purpose. I was practicing. And when my father turned on all the lights and I realized, oh, church has been over for like an hour. And he's trying to find me, and he's been calling me. I knew I was in trouble. And he came to me and was like, Joel, what in the world are you doing? We've got to get home. Mom's fixed, you know, fixed a meal. And because in our life, everything was happened at the same time every day. Unless I messed it up. <laughs> And I remember looking at him going, Dad, I'm practicing. And he was like, what are you practicing for? My sword was a little New Testament that my Sunday school teacher gave me, Mrs. Olson. I actually remember to this day what she taught on. She taught on the passage that The word of God is a sword. And I heard my father talking about, we're in a big spiritual battle. And that day in children's church, we sang one of my favorite songs. I'm in the Lord's army. 
And so if I'm in the Lord's army and I've been given a sword and we're in a spiritual battle, I better prepare. And so I was running like a wild kid throughout the building, hot, slashing and practicing to defeat. Now, now what was going on? Okay. Some of you would call that insanity, but let me tell you, I was taking what was taught to me. And as a kid, I was trying to make it fit. I was interpreting. I was trying to figure out how I'm supposed to be part of God's army and we're fighting the devil and I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. And, and how many times over the years of my life, how many times over the days that my parents were pouring in scriptural truth, I was trying to make sense out of it and make it fit into my, 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 my world and understand it. And as a result, I'm standing in front of you today and God's grace, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Nothing that I did. So we must learn because our kids are interpreters, our kids are revelation receivers, we must start primarily as a community that focuses on learning about God. That's God's call to us. Second thought is that if a family is to be God's primary learning community, it must continually be developing relationships. It must be continually developing relationships. What do I mean by that? Well, I could call it, it should be a sociological community. It's all about relationships. <laughs> How do we get there? The home is supposed to be a place that you learn to develop relationships. There's no better, there's no better, there's no better way to teach God's way of love than in the family. And I already see a couple of snickers across in the family. We're loving each other. We're supposed to do that? Yes, absolutely. Why is that? Because in the home, your children don't get to choose who they live with. God designed it that way. Parents are God's gift to their children, and children are God's gift to parents, and children are God's gift to each other. And in the living of life and the experiencing of life, what goes on in the home? Life. What happens in the home? Stuff. And what better place than God to take and re begin to reveal our hearts to ourself and to each other. And in the home, we begin to realize and understand that our hearts are being revealed. The intensity of our selfishness, the intensity of our self-awareness, our self-centeredness is revealed in the home. And the amazing thing about that is that God says all the law is wrapped up in this. Loving 
our neighbor as ourself. And we cannot possibly fulfill that. We cannot possibly get to loving our neighbor as ourself if we don't start with the foundation of loving God completely. That gives us the enablement, the power to love those that we didn't choose. Here we are. God just gave them to us. Colin, God gave you to me and me to you. And here we are. What a wonderful thing, Bryson. I love you guys, you know? (laughs) But to be honest, we struggle with this. The loving your neighbor as yourself. It's revealed, yes, even in my home. The last brownie. You can relate. The last cookie. Or all of us do this. We come downstairs. We struggle to rejoice. I am so glad that Colin got to get the last cookie. Isn't it great that we get to rejoice about that, Bryson? And and we get to celebrate, or most likely mom, (laughs) that she got to get that and enjoy that. Sometimes, just to be honest, that's a little struggle because I wanted it or we wanted it. Or with the remote, you know, the wars that go on with the remote. We don't really rejoice that one of us gets to watch something when I was really hoping to watch this on the big TV. If I have to go, I'll go upstairs maybe and I'll watch it on the little TV. Our hearts are revealed in these in these ways. What, what, what a challenge it is for us. It never, it never, it, you'll, you'll pardon me. I have to give a personal illustration. I have to tell myself about how my heart is, it, my heart is revealed. It never fails that I, I love to cook, particularly grill. I love to grill stuff chicken and hamburgers and steak and whatnot and all kinds of goodiness and sausages. And and I will always choose one that I put a little bit of extra into, a little bit of extra seasoning, a little bit of extra care to just make sure that it is perfect. And then we'll come in and as a family, we're going to share this bounty that God has given to us. And so I place it on the table and we gather around and we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful provision that you've given us and everything. And so we begin to partake. And without exception, there is a particular person that takes my steak or my piece of chicken every time. And I struggle with that. (laughs) My heart is being revealed. I'm selfish. I love, you know, every time. So I'm, I'm trying to learn. Let's just treat them all the same and, you know. <laughs> Good night. Oh. There's no better way, no better place than the family to see this struggle that's going on. There's no better place. And God intended that to be that way. The family is God's primary learning community. 
as we experience life. There's one final theme that must be, cannot be, can't leave this off. We must have a great theology of God, teaching our kids about God all the time, loving Him completely. We've got to teach to love our neighbor as ourselves, a sociological community, a community that's really developing relationships. We must do that. But there's one other element that must be taught as we explain the existence, the character, and the plan of God. As we do that, our families are going to begin to learn things. I'm going to continue to learn things. We will learn that there is something wrong. We will learn that we don't like listening to God, even as little kids. We don't like obedience. As little kids, when my, my, my children were very, very small, I intentionally did this with my boys. We would be out at Walmart. And in, in Walmart, they, they have like toy sections with toys in them, you know, that kids like. Parents, you need to learn to avoid those sections, okay? But for some reason, a long time ago, they learned that you have to check out. And so right there at the checkout is all this stuff. And we would be going through there, and my kids experienced this, not for long, they learned. <laughs> not for long, they learned. But going through this, this thing, for some, I don't know if it's the color or where it's located, right at their eye level, they see things that they have to have. And life will end if they don't have it. And as a parent, we know it costs $3, it's not worth three cents, and it'll be broken by the time we get to the car. And yet they want it. And when my kids learned, you don't do this, I began to, as little children, ask them, we would be in stores, or we would be in restaurants, and we would watch other families. And when little children didn't get their way, I've experienced it, you've experienced it. What happens when a mom says, no, you can't have the little thing? I've bought you some gum. The child will rise up in its stroller or in its chair and scream to the top of its lungs. And that... At that moment, that parent wants to disappear, to go away. I've been there, I've done that. 
But that is not something cute. That is worship. That is a child saying, I want to think it, I want to speak, and if you don't speak and obey and give me what I want, you will pay for it. And that is an affront to a holy God. And we've got to teach that. And I would take my children and I would whisper in their ears and say, do you see that? That is sin. That is an affront to God. Ask him. That is an affront to God. And as we live life and we're continuing to teach about there's a God and we're to worship him, we will discover that we don't like that very much. And as we continue to teach that we're to love each other and to submit to each other and to prefer each other over my own desires, our kids will discover, we discover again and again and again that we don't like that. We don't enjoy that. It's not the, the, in my nature to say, sure, I'd love and whoa, isn't that great? You get to have it. And I was wanting it and it doesn't work that way. And when we continue to do that, there should become a point in time in our lives that our children will come to us and say, Mom and Dad, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I cannot do that. I can't. Excuse me. I can't love God like you want me to because I love me and I love other things and I'm distracted by that. I can't do that. And I can't get along with my brother or my sister. I'm constantly fighting with you. I can't do this. How can I do this? And we can turn to our children and say, I understand because I'm the same way. And there is a good God who loves us, who gave himself for us. And we should develop a community that will continue to point to a redeemer. There is someone who can rescue us from this struggle. There is someone. There is a God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to save us, to forgive us. But not just to forgive us, but to set us free, to deliver us from our sin and selfishness and self-centered ways. God didn't give us a system of redemption. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And we must learn to continually point to a redeemer. Our families must be, must be, First and foremost, a theological community that continually learns about the character, about the existence, and about the plan of God. Our homes must be, our families must continually be developing relationships, a sociological community that learns to love each other without question, to love each other completely, to sacrifice for each other. And our homes must be 
continually pointing to a Redeemer. There's a Redeemer. There's a Redeemer. In spite of myself, there's a Redeemer. And in the middle of the struggle, and in the middle of the things that we find ourselves, there is someone, Jesus Christ, who loved us enough that he came and paid the penalty for our sin to cover our sin so that we could have access to a holy God. And he forgives us our sin and he then transforms our life and sets us free and releases us to be redeemed. Redeemed. I don't know about you, but when I begin to think of the family in those kinds of terms and what God has intended in the family, I shout out, what a savior, what a redeemer, what a plan, what an opportunity that God has given to us. What a savior. Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving us enough to establish this thing called the home, the family. And Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us in the home and calling the home to be your primary way that you teach. Lord, as moms and dads, as even folks that may not have children, for us to learn that our homes have the opportunity to ultimately reflect and display a Redeemer, we praise you for that. And I pray, Father, that we would grasp these truths. And as we continue to study, that you would direct our thoughts and our, 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 our minds together as we discover, how do we do this? And what are the real issues? I pray that you would continue to mold us, but help us never to, be, never to escape or forget. What a redeemer. What a savior you are. Thank you for speaking into our lives. Thank you for loving us. And we worship you back. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.